You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Eric Roberge. And I'm Kaylee Roberge. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Six figures. If I knew one thing for certain about my financial plan, it was that I would be earning six figures to the far off date in which I became too old to work. Sure, there was flexibility, where I worked, who I worked for, whether I was practicing or teaching, whether I owned my own practice. It would all be just fine as long as I remained a high income earner. What could possibly go wrong? It wasn't an accident an injury, or a health scare per se, it was something far more insidious. Overwhelming, all-consuming, exhausting burnout. And I wanted out. Out of my practice, out of medicine, out of the professional and financial house that I had built. In a career full of options, I had to contemplate letting go of the one thing in my financial plan I thought was inveterate, inflexible. Making a high income. Six figures, something I no longer felt built nor inclined to do. Luckily, luckily, my cheat code when it came to flexibility ended up being financial independence. But not everyone will have this option. So, how do we read the tea leaves, whether personal or accidental, by your own decision or forced by legislative mandate? The rules of the game will change. Will your financial plan? Be ready. Eric Roberge has two decades of experience in the financial industry and spent years studying communication development and leadership. He is CEO of Beyond Your Hammock, where he helps motivated professionals in their 30s and 40s by providing fee-only fiduciary advice, investment management, and financial planning. Kaylee Roberge is COO and creative director at Beyond Your Hammock. She serves as editor of the blog and all online content, co-hosts the Beyond Your Finances podcast, and runs the social channels. She also assists clients and maintains open lines of communication between clients and the advisory team. Eric and Kaylee Roberge, welcome to Earn and Invest. Eric, let's start with you. Let's talk about the name of your business, Beyond Your Hammock. Why choose this name for your firm? It's a couple of different reasons for it. One of them is broad-based in that I got sick of people saying that I know 10 different financial advisors when I would introduce myself as a financial advisor. And rather than having a name that says, 
Robert's financial advice or Robert's wealth management, which immediately puts them in that thought process of, I know you and your type. I wanted to have a name that had nothing to do with the financial industry, right? So Beyond Your Hammock has no reference to finance. In fact, people often ask me, is it a hammock company? And it's not. <laughs> Second was the, the word beyond is really important to me because I, I want people to look beyond the everyday I certainly want to live my life how I want to live my life and not the way that the social norms tell me I should be living it. So beyond societal norms is really important. And the hammock, I mean, it's just kind of a natural relaxation thought. When you think of a hammock, you think of vacation, tropical, peaceful relaxation. So when when we combine beyond your hammock as an original name and we think of it as doing financial planning and using your money beyond what normal people use it for, it becomes the essence of the company. Now, Eric, I've seen financial advisories get paid lots of different ways. And in a sense, you're a little bit of an outsider being fee only. How did you choose this structure? Being in the industry for now 15 years plus, I saw that there were many different ways for me to get paid and do my job. And there were some ways that were less client forward in that it was more about me and my earnings than it was about providing objective, authentic advice. And I never wanted to be in a position where I was trying to choose between the two. And so in the realm of financial advice, the only planning is the most objective way to go in that you are held to a fiduciary standard by registration. And then when you add in the certified financial planner board of standards, code of ethics, from a, from a commitment perspective, you are there, right? So I can be as objective and forthcoming as possible in this place. And that's why we are a fee-only firm. Haley, talk about your financial and educational backgrounds. How did you get into the financial advice field in the first place? I like to joke that I kind of tripped into it. I my so my very first experience with personal finance was I was in my early 20s I had this realization that if I was kind of stayed on the track I was on the the earnings potential that I had and I just kept saving I was always a good saver I knew that was important but I realized if I just kept saving that would never be enough I would never be able to just save my way into being able to retire or to stop working or to have anything in my life beyond what my paycheck could afford me month to month. So that was kind of like a, like, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast or not, but like a, you know, expletive kind of moment of what am I going to do? And that pushed me into like, let me start researching because my educational background, I'm actually a history major. And that's why I say I, I, finance was probably the last thing I would think I would end up in. But my, my, my nature and my educational background was if you have a question, you research it, you go and you ask questions, you dig around, you, you try to find what other people who've come before you have figured out. So that's what I did. I started researching and that led me to also as a history major and as a writer, how I process things is, is through writing. So I started a personal finance blog to kind of process what I was learning, learning about investing, learning about growing wealth, learning about setting yourself up for the future future, and for financial independence. So I started my blog. It was called Common Sense Millennial. That blog is no longer in existence, but it was a really fun project. And it also helped me change careers. Um, I started writing more and financial advisors started reaching out to me saying, hey, I love this content. 
I would like to get into content marketing, you know, for my business, for my firm. Can you help me? Can you write for me? Can you ghostwrite? So, so that's what started it. I just did that more and more. And I learned more and more through all the connections I had with financial advisors about the, you know, the technical side of things. The, the, the CFP has a very rigorous standard of training and education. So I was getting all of that knowledge from so many different CFPs. So I learned a lot through, through osmosis, through researching, through working with them. That's eventually how actually I met Eric was at a financial financial media conference, FinCon. And then we started dating. We started working together. And now I work with Beyond Organic. Eric, this is a little off to the side here, but I think it's an interesting line of conversation. Do you feel there's a natural tension between advisors and bloggers? So you guys met at FinCon. You came to personal finance in a different direction. But I often hear advisors say, you, you know, bloggers don't always have the same regulations and restrictions on what they write and how they present information, whereas a financial advisor has a set of rules and regulations they have to follow. They cannot necessarily speak as freely and sometimes easily as bloggers. Do you, do you ever feel that tension? It's just interesting that you guys ended up connecting and came from such different places. I do, in a sense. I mean, certainly there's there's the the range of people in, in both areas that are going to be either extreme on, on either end. But the the tension comes up with the difference between regulation and marketing. They don't go together, right? So if you're going to market online, regulation really dampens that. And you don't sound very interesting when you, unfortunately, when you do that. So when you come at it from a blogger perspective and you're looking to marketing clicks, you're going to use different words for sure. So that's, there's a, there's a, there's a gap there. And the other one, I guess, is the the longstanding one, and this is different per person, but what kind of education do you have? And how does your knowledge in this area connect with your knowledge in another area of finance? Because that's really important. And that's what the Certified Financial Planner designation does. It teaches you all the areas and how they interact. So when you say something or hear something, you know the spider web that it affects. And I think the bloggers don't always get that. And they talk in a very tunnel vision way. And unfortunately, they miss certain things. I think what bloggers do really well is share their personal experience, right? And you are an expert in your personal experience. And you can connect with people on an emotional level. And that's where a lot of advisors fall short. And obviously, I'm I'm biased because I like Eric a whole lot. But (laughs) I think that he does really well at managing that emotional piece with people. He understands that, you know, behavioral finance is a thing. It's, It's not just a bunch of spreadsheets and what a computer can spit out and say, here's the right answer. It's so much more nuanced than that. And I think to to your point, Eric, that's where some bloggers might miss things is there's so much nuance to things. It's not just you know, this worked for me. So let me tell you, and it'll work for everyone. It, it, it makes a good story and it does help some people, but you can't apply that advice so broadly. And that's where CFPs and their, like Eric said, the the education and experience with working with clients really becomes very valuable because you know, out of all this information, okay, what's relevant here and what's important in this case. And, oh, this weird situation that I didn't think about before, you know, you have that context to work from. Eric, I want to jump further into this idea of nuance that Kaylee was just talking about. You recently both did a podcast episode on Beyond Your Finances, 
where you talked about the new rules and regulations pushed forward by the Secure 2.0 Act and how they might impact how we manage our money right now. And you started that episode by saying this discussion hinges on a conversation about financial planning that you both have all the time. Talk a little bit about that conversation. You really bounced off this idea of the Secure 2.0 Act by talking about a much more general financial idea of flexibility. Sounds like that's something that you guys discuss a lot. Why was that important to this conversation? Flexibility is something that I really value. And I never want to be trapped into a corner. I never want to be forced to do anything I don't want to do. And therefore, flexibility is one of the conversations that we talk a lot about. And flexibility is hindered when you start to focus so narrowly on a certain set of rules and regulations that will undoubtedly change in the future. And so Secure 2.0 Act is one of those examples where one thing was written as a regulation, and then it completely changed. And now another thing is written as a regulation in various areas of retirement planning. So that's why we brought that up as as the conversation piece, because it was just the example that proved the point of you can't always rely on what you know today or what laws and regulations exist today for the plan that you need to have in 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years. Haley, what we're talking about is sudden and relatively unexpected change, right? Legislation can change. Often we lay people know nothing about it and all of a sudden it's sprung on us. But it gets to the heart of this idea of flexibility and why it's important. Talk about some of the other unexpected types of changes that you guys see your clients go through that kind of pushes them to be more flexible than they thought they'd have to be. Sure. I think the big one that most of us think about often, even if it hasn't happened to us, is is getting laid off. You might not ever think that's going to happen to you. It's definitely one of those things. You think it happens to everybody else, but not to you. We have a lot of clients in the tech industry. So we've seen recent layoffs. um, And those were clients that had very secure jobs. They were very highly paid. They were high up in the company. And things change. So that's a big one, getting laid off. Changes to your family. Maybe you decide that you do want kids or you don't want kids or you have that decision and you change your mind. That certainly personally happened with us is I don't think we were definitive on no, we won't have kids, but we were leaning in that way for a very long time. But we always kept talking about it. We kept an open mind about it and and would have conversations periodically. And eventually we decided, you know what, we do want to have kids. And now we have a, a wonderful daughter. But that's a huge change, right, to your finances that dramatically changed our financial plan. Other things that come up that are a little bit less within your control might just be changes to you know, your living situation, changes to your family structure in other ways. Maybe someone passes away. Maybe you need to help your parents in a way that you didn't think you needed to. So there's there's lots of things in your personal life that can come up and including you, like you change, right? That's probably the biggest thing that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because you think constantly like, okay, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is who I'm supposed to be. Especially as you get older, you're like, oh, now I know so much. I've learned so much. How silly I was in my teens or how silly I was in my twenties and how silly I was in my thirties. And you realize you just keep doing that because you keep changing. So your goals can change your priorities, your values. Um, You just evolve and grow as a person. Hopefully that's a great thing, but then it means that, okay, this direction I was heading in, Maybe it's no longer applicable, or maybe my financial circumstances, they're not aligned anymore with what I'm saying I want versus what I was planning for. 
Eric, I feel like we can parse this out into things change and we need to be flexible, right? On one side, things change internally and personally, right? Kind of your goals and priorities change or things externally change, whether that be legislation being laid off, et cetera. Let's talk about our internal goals and priorities. And this is kind of a little bit of what I highlighted in my introduction, this idea that I thought I was going to be a doctor and a high earner, and that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life until I couldn't. And I realized at a much younger age through burnout that that probably wasn't the best for me in my personal life. You deal with financial planning with people over decades. Are we really bad at realizing that our priorities are going to change? I mean, is this something we just generally don't see in the tea leaves? 100%. Very bad. Humans really, by default, cannot put themselves in their future selves' bodies and be empathetic about the future self to begin with. But there's also this, this thought that you've made it. You know, I've, I've got this experience level. I've, I've, I've passed through these gates and now I'm here. And this is the person I was meant to be. And therefore, I will not change this person over the next decade even. But like Kaylee was saying, every five years, you show up and you say, oh, wow, things are different now. Look at that. Look at the last five years, how things have changed in ways that I did not even expect them to, to, to change. So that's going to continue to happen. So if you just set yourself in stone in your mind, you're going to be setting yourself up for failure, especially if you plan for those types of things. I think another way that this ties into your finances is you just want to be careful of, you don't want to create a lot of one-way doors for yourself in your financial decisions. So that's why a lot of the times when clients are looking at massive fixed costs, most commonly a home, buying a really big home that costs a lot of money, it seems really great right now. And it's, it's very difficult or even maybe wrong to tell them, no, no, you're wrong. Cause there's an emotional component that goes into that. There's a situation, there's looking at, you know, what is right for your family right now, but you can't do that and be blind to what is right for yourself and your family five years from now, 10 years from now. And when you plug in those big fixed costs, that's a one way door, right? You walk through that and you might not be able to come back. So you want to make sure that you're looking at two-way doors, like, or at least what's my escape route if you're going to have this big fixed cost or this big financial decision that is going to dramatically change something about your plan. That's that's the flexibility that you want to make sure you still have in there. That's the buffer room that you want to make sure you're creating for yourself so that when you realize, okay, things have changed, it's not even about making a wrong decision, right? It's just things are different now in the future, do I still have the room to maneuver in a different way around the past financial decisions that I made? Haley, do people listen? Because I think if 10 years ago you tried to tell me that I wouldn't be an actively practicing physician today, I would have thought you were crazy. I think it is difficult to listen to a rational argument about why A or B is not a smart idea. But I think Eric does really, really well on he's the one doing the listening. And I think that's what changes people's minds is he gives his clients the space to say like, well, this is why it's so important right now. This is why we have to do it. He'll have that conversation with them over and over and over again, and he will hear what they are saying. And I think that sets people up to be a little bit more receptive to, I get the situation you're in. I get how you're feeling about it. 
And here is the context that we have to make this decision. And here's the rest of your financial plan. Like, let me remind you of these other things that you said were important to you. These other goals that you have that you may not be able to achieve that that you're putting into jeopardy if you go with this financial decision over here. I mean, we are we are not paid as financial planners to be right. We are paid to not be wrong, right? So if 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 we are to not be wrong in the financial plan, we have to build in buffer room. And a lot of times people take that buffer room and say, well, it's a conservative estimate here, right? So I'm, I'm not a conservative person. I'm a more of a risk taker. So we shouldn't have that buffer room built into the plan. But a plan is so that you, you build a plan so that things can work out in various outcomes, not so that things can work out in one outcome, because that's when, if it doesn't work out on that outcome, and the chances are it's not going to go linearly exactly as we think, and the plan blows up, like that's not a good plan at all. That's, that's just a recipe for disaster. Eric, have people been more flexible given what's been happening in the world over the last five years? I mean, we've had the pandemic, the great resignation. We've had kind of political and economic upheaval. Are you seeing that people are embracing this idea of flexibility more now than they were, let's say, five, 10 years ago? That's an interesting question because my mind goes to two answers. One is no, they're not because their minds still think the same way in that, well, the, the work from home thing is going to last forever. And suddenly businesses are inviting people to come back in the office and then they're demanding people to come back in the office. But no, we just bought this house in the mountains. We can't even make it back to the office. That's a problem. But on the other sa- side of the coin, yes, because now people are seeing that they can be more flexible in their life. And therefore they want to build in flexibility into their plan so that they can continue to have flexibility across business, across career, and also personal family life. Haley, I feel like we're really good at this thing that we call black swan events, right? This idea that these horrendous, big structural changes can happen that are going to mess with our financial well-being. It's become part of the lexicon. We talk about that a lot. On the other hand, those tend to be unpredictable things. What I think is more common is what I call white swan events, which are things that can destroy our finances, but are actually predictable and happen often. Let's talk about some of those white swan events. Are people planning for the obvious, like divorce or healthcare crises or things like that, that we can predict are going to happen to a certain number of us? Are people building this into their plans and are they resistant when you guys try to? I think people are open to planning for some unforeseen, unfortunate event. I think they're a little bit reluctant to put in a specific event, like, oh, if I, you know, I am injured, what do I do then? Because nobody, again, that goes back to the the, the laid off thing. Nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. But I think people, especially over the last five years, are willing to be a little less certain that everything is going to work out just fine. They're open more to the idea of entertaining uncertainty. And they certainly understand the importance of planning for bad things coming up because we know that negative outcomes are are a part of life. And so it's really about looking at what is the probability of that happening. And that's where the planning can get technical in, in a good way is looking at you know, what are your concerns? What are your fears? I think people are very good about trying to plan for those because that's top of mind, but it's also, all right, how likely is that to happen? 
it's it's possible, but what is the probability of it? I, I think people also bring their own experience to it. So if their parents had health issues, that's much more in the forefront of their mind of like, I need to be planning for this. And I think it can go the other way too. Some some people are overly concerned with, like you said, the black swan type event where it's not likely to happen, but that's just where they're emotionally hooked into. So I think people are good at understanding that they need to plan for something to not go wrong. And then what that something is probably varies person to person based on their own experience and their personality. But yeah, I, th- I think people are open to, like I said, being willing to be a little less certain about their their beliefs and what they think is going to happen. We are talking to Eric and Kaylee Roberge. Eric has two decades of experience in the financial industry and spent years studying communication, development, and leadership. He is the CEO of Beyond Your Hammock. And Kaylee is COO and creative director at Beyond Your Hammock. She serves as editor of the blog and all online content and co-hosts the Beyond Your Finances podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com earn. That is linkedin.com E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A dot com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Welcome back. We are talking about flexibility in your financial plan with Kaylee and Eric Roberge of Beyond Your Hammock. Eric, we had discussed briefly the Secure 2.0 Act, and this is an example of external change or legislative change that asks us to be somewhat flexible. I imagine that you get clients who come to you 
and are aware of the fact that the laws and the rules change, how can an individual keep abreast of what's going to be going on in the future, especially legislatively, when that can change, you know, from administration to administration? To stay abreast of the changes, I think it's it's just reading current events and really trying to make sure that those current event articles are as objective as they possibly can be to give you the facts, and then you can make your own decisions. I know a lot of times now it's it's not that way, and it's extreme right or left, and that's unfortunate for people who just want to get the data. But like you said, it's it's not something that you can know into the future. This speculation, you can speculate on, well, if 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 the Democrats are in office, then this will happen. If the Republicans are in office, this will happen. Who knows, right? So it's more about focusing in on what you can control. And what you can control is what you know today. What we know today to be true is this. And so let's do things with those things in mind, right? Let's Let's save into the right types of accounts to provide us with tax flexibility in the future. And tax flexibility in the future isn't reliant on regulations being as they are today. It's spreading the money into various accounts so that no matter what the regulations end up being, we have access to to turn around and do an about face if we need to. Haley, is it within your average person's purview to be able to understand these legislative changes that are happening? Or is it the kind of thing where we either need a CPA or financial advisor to translate it for us? I think most people can understand the basics of what's going on, especially if they are curious and asking questions. When it comes to applying the legislation to your personal situation, that's where I would say go to a CPA, go to a CFP, go to an attorney, whatever it is, you know, for for whatever piece of legislation or regulation that you're concerned about and how it affects you and how to implement it, I would go to an expert. But I think most people can go to get get a good sense of what's going on, especially if you're reading things critically. So for example, I know politically, Eric, you know, you, you spoke a little bit about this as far as the bias, like I lean a little bit left. So I like reading the Wall Street Journal because it leans a little bit right. So that's where I go to first. And I'll continue to read. I think getting lots of different sources is also helpful, but understanding what your own bias is and then seeking out something that's a little bit away, like leaning in the opposite direction is helpful. And then always questioning if something is is comes up and, and you feel very emotional about it, like taking a step back and say, what questions can I ask about this? to learn more instead of just leaning into that emotion. But yet to answer your question, I think most people can get the basics. The application of things is where you might want to get some outside perspective and some, some professional help. Eric, do you find that sometimes lay people get overly concerned with the legislation, how the rules are going to change? I mean, when we're talking about taxes, we talk about the tax tail wagging the financial dog. Do you see that people get so overly confused by the stuff that they start making maybe sometimes even irrational decisions because they're worried about what's politically happening in Washington? Some. Uh, it's certainly not everybody. There, there are some people that will react very emotionally to new current events that happen. So COVID, for example, a client might say, wow, look at what's happening here. It's devastation out there and then perpetuate that into the future for years and years and years, and, and therefore then start to try to make decisions around this continuing forever, which is not helpful 
but it's very much how they're feeling in the moment. So it's tough to separate how they're feeling from the reality of what's going to happen. And then there, there, there are other people who seem to be very, very confident. And this is different, right? This isn't an emotional, well, it is emotional, but it's not the same kind of fear-driven thing. Very, very confident that this is the structure here. This is what's going to happen next. And they're talking like three or four steps ahead. And, and every decision has to have been made to get to where they're going to be, but they're very confident that they're going to get there. So they're going to start to really make decisions based on that fourth step when we're still at the first one. And I know I could sense it right when they do it. And it, it just sounds a little bit too confident. And we and it just scares me a bit about how we're actually going to go about making these decisions and implementing things when the decisions aren't being made for today. They're being made for this like four steps into the future period of time. Haley, I seem to remember a number of skittish people, especially on the left, who took all their money out of equities when Donald Trump became president. And looking back, actually, it was a fairly prosperous time in the uh, stock market. So, you know, emotions really play a, a big key part of this, don't they? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, if if you can't separate your feelings from yourself, which sounds a little bit weird, but to recognize like I am not this feeling is a really important skill that a lot of people don't necessarily have, but it allows you to take that pause to to step back and say like, okay, let me just take a breath here and not lean really hard into an emotion and let that take me on a ride. I think recency bias is a big thing, right? Like whatever's happening right now is going to go forward into the future. And as Eric had mentioned before too, a linear progression into the future, it's going to be A, B, and C when life doesn't really work that way. And there's a lot more, a lot more that we don't even know we don't know that's going on that we can't necessarily predict. You know, hindsight is 2020. When you look back, it seems so obvious, but in the moment when you are emotionally charged, like that's the best signal for yourself to be like, okay, let me not act right now. Let me not do anything while I'm in this heightened state. Let me just take a beat and try to calm down and think about things with a historical perspective, right? Because that's another thing that comes up with the stock market. Anything that's happening in the stock market, people are very reactionary to. And it's always, they always have a reason, which it feels very rational, why it's different this time. But if you take a historical perspective, if you can step back and look at decades of time, you can see that, yes, there are blips along the way, but overall, you know, we trend in a certain direction and it's not the end of the world direction, right? That's also a a thing. That's a people thing, right? We all tend to believe that we are living in the worst possible times. Like the past was a golden age or, you know, the past was better than the the present and the present is certainly going to be better than the future, which is bleak and terrible and everything's going downhill. That's a human nature thing to believe that. And of course, not everybody is this way. Some people are more optimistic than others. But when it comes to money, people tend to be a little bit more fear driven, I think, because they don't want to lose it, which is a, a totally, again, totally reasonable reaction to have, but not the best thing to be making objective decisions on. Eric, while we don't want to be overly emotional about what's happening in the world today, the truth of the matter is being flexible and paying attention to some of the legislative changes can actually be very beneficial. Talk about what you think have been kind of the big legislative mandates or changes that have happened in the last few years that if we paid attention to them, we could really benefit. A couple of things that do come to mind with 529 plans. 529 plans have always been a college savings vehicle 
And over the years, they've become a little bit more flexible in that you don't have to use the investments inside of your plan for college tuition, right? We've seen things where now it, there is the ability to use $10,000 of your 529 plan to pay back student loans. And, and very recently with the Secure 2.0 Act, they've changed it a little bit further in that now you can take 529 plan money and actually use it to roll over into a Roth IRA to contribute to that Roth IRA uh, as long as you have earned income and are the beneficiary of the 529 plan, up to $35,000 in, in lifetime rollovers. But that's a huge difference. Suddenly it makes the 529 plan a lot more flexible than it used to, where you had to either use it for tuition or pay a 10% penalty on the growth of that money. Haley, one of the big concerns I think a lot of people have with changing legislation is we worry that we're going to make plans based on current legislation and the legislation is going to change and undo what we've done. So I hear people talk about this a lot with Roth conversions, right? They're talking about taking traditional IRA money, paying taxes, put it in a Roth IRA. But then they're also worried about this idea that sometime in the future, legislation will change and all of a sudden we're going to have to pay taxes on that. Is it likely that legislation is going to undo some of the good things we're trying to do now based on what we know at the moment and kind of what legislation has already passed? It's possible, right? That goes to the conversation of there's there's what's possible and then there's what's probable. And in terms of planning, you have to opt for what is most probable because nobody can can predict the future with a huge degree of accuracy. You can guess and you may be right or you may be wrong. So it's a gamble if you are assuming that the government, whatever the government is, whoever the government is made of in 30 years, will do something so drastic that you need to start taking action now to prepare for it. When you frame it that way, it's like, okay, that's a little bit unreasonable to put all of my eggs in, in that basket because you're making a bet, just like you would make a speculative bet in the market. And we know that's probably not the best way to grow your wealth sustainably over a long period of time. It's the same with your planning. That's not a sustainable way to plan on an off chance that something massive may happen in the future. You have to look at the probabilities and again, looking History doesn't repeat itself, but it is helpful to go back and see what's happened before, what's changed, what's the degree of the change, how many people were impacted. I think that's worth looking into if you have a very strong conviction about something, but that conviction alone, that feeling is not enough to make a radical move on the assumption that something big will change in in the future. I think it's a reasonable concern, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to act on it in a, a big way that changes the entire trajectory of your, your finances. And that certainly would be one of those things, like trying to guess about Roth conversions in the future. Because ideally, if you're using a Roth conversion strategy, it's not that every dollar that you're saving is going toward making that strategy happen. You want to spread your tax liability so that you're prepared for whatever may come up. So you want to be looking at pre-tax, after-tax, taxable you know, investment accounts, uh, you want to be looking at 529 plans at HSAs and diversifying not just how you invest your money, but where it's going. So, Eric, let's wrap this up. Are there some rules of thumb or easy things we can do to maintain flexibility when we're looking at our portfolio and how we manage money? Yes. I think two two big things come to mind. One is diversification. Right? Instead of being overly speculative in a certain category of investments, say tech stocks, for example, because that's a popular one these days, and that Apple's going to be the best forever and always. 
maybe you should be investing in things that are not just tech. And not only not just tech, but not just the United States of America based companies and, and doing it globally. Because as much as we love to believe, especially here in the United States, that the U.S. is always going to be the best country and always have the, the currency that everybody uses and always have the best businesses, that's probably not going to be the case. And we shouldn't rely on that and therefore have our hands in other places. The other one is, like Haley was hinting at, as far as the types of accounts that we use, I do strongly believe that people should be investing in not only their 401ks and not only in their traditional and Roth 401ks, but also in taxable investment accounts as well. Because although they don't have tax advantages like the 401ks or IRAs do, they have flexibility. And we should have the three bucketing strategy of taxable accounts, Roth accounts, and traditional accounts so that when the inevitable regulations change, we can just jump over to the next strategy. And I want to touch on one thing that you had said before too, as far as the Roth conversions. What I see as a very disruptable strategy is saying that, well, so I'm making a lot of money now, meaning I'm in the highest tax bracket now. And when I stop working, I'm going to be in the lowest tax bracket because I'm not going to have any income coming in. And therefore, I should put all of my money in traditional 401ks. And when I stop working, I'm going to do all these Roth conversions at a very much a lower marginal tax bracket. That sounds great. But if if tax laws change, which they will, right, that really changes things a lot. And, and you say, well, okay, well, let me not plan on just that then. What, what would I do if that wasn't the case? Well, how would I be in a better situation if that wasn't actually the case? That means maybe you don't take as much tax deduction this year and put money into Roth this year so that the flexibility is there. You already have money in Roth just in case that tax law changes down the road. Haley, we've been talking in general terms about flexibility, but let's get a little personal here, if you'll allow. How have you guys had to be flexible in your own personal lives when it comes to managing your money? I think one thing that we flexed on, again, it was having our, our daughter, Talia, that really changed what our financial plan looked like. Because before, we weren't planning to save for anybody's college. Um, we weren't necessarily considering like, oh, well, do we live here or there based on the public school system? Or should we go private school? It, all of those questions were were not even on the radar, much less in the plan. So we've had to be flexible in reconsidering our future plan. So for example, we're actually looking at moving right now based on some of those questions, like being closer to family, being in a different school system. So, so that's been a big change. And then how that's directly impacted our finances is our savings rate. So historically, we've always tried to save 30, 40, even more percent of our income. And I think since Talia has been born, I think we've managed to be close to 30, but it has dropped down. We haven't been saving as much to long-term investments, partially because she's just introduced more expenses into our everyday cash flow, and partially because we're now allocating money toward things other than just our own financial freedom as quickly as we can get there. So we've flexed on you know, when do we think we might retire? That age has gone out a little bit to allow us to free up a little bit more money now, not all for spending, but for different savings goals. So that's been been a huge one. And again, the, the living situation, we were in Boston, we're in upstate New York now. We initially bought our house as, well, we'll, we'll live out here, you know, part-time, it'll be like a part-time vacation house. Um, COVID happened, so I moved out here full-time. 
we don't rent in Boston anymore, but now we're thinking about, well, do we want to go back to Boston? Like, do we sell this house and go back to Boston? Uh, maybe even go to New Hampshire. It's like all of these things are flying around based on where family is, based on there's no income tax in New Hampshire. So that's been a question. So it's it's been like a very open conversation and understanding that whatever we decide on right now, again, might not look like that in, in five years and making sure that we're not tying up too much of our finances into any one decision that we can't reverse or that there's not a um, a plan B, a plan C, you know, a ripcord that we can pull to get ourselves out of the situation if we need to. Eric, let's look at the other side. Are there parts of your financial plan that should be inflexible? I think so. The nature of retirement accounts are so that you can't get at the money very easily and that you'll, you're, you're penalized for doing so before a certain age. I do think that we're always going to need money in the future. At some point, we are not going to be able to work, even though we feel invincible now, we're not going to be able to work at some point. And therefore, we're going to have to pay for our own expenses through some other form of, of income, really being the, the money that you save now. So putting that money out there is never going to be a bad thing. As long as you're not putting so much money out there that you are now living in the corner and, and not being able to enjoy yourself today, because because the, the people that say live for now and not for tomorrow are not all wrong, right? I think it's a very delicate balance and you need to be doing both. So, so never stop saving for and into your retirement accounts because you're always going to need that kind of money when you stop working. Well, Eric and Kaylee Roberge, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What I really get from our conversation is whether it's personal change or change on the outside, we really don't know the future. Yet, if we want to build a strong financial structure, we're going to have to learn how to be agile. We're going to have to learn how to be flexible. And that is exactly what you are preaching both in your podcast as well as in your financial advisory. I want to end this episode the way we end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can reach out to you. Kaylee, let's start with you. What is going on with the financial advisory and the podcast? What's new? I think the newest thing is that we are back at it more than we were in the past. Our daughter was born and we, I don't think, fully understood the impact of that, um, especially on me, because I was her you know, full-time caregiver for her first year, which was wonderful to have her at home and with me. And I feel like that's such a wonderful gift that not everybody gets. It's not, you know, some people have to work, they have to use childcare more than they want. So I'm really appreciative that we had the, the flexibility to have her here with us but it put a, a real damper on <laughs> my work hours because, you know, trying to create and produce a podcast and help run the operations of the firm during nap time is not sustainable. So I think what is the most new is that she does go to a little play group now a couple days a week. So that's given me more work hours back. So we're hoping to get back on the podcast more consistently, produce more content. So I'm very excited about, about that, having more conversations, getting more blog posts out there and being more active in, in that space. And Eric, what is the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions or want to learn more? The best way is to go to our website. We, we spent about eight months last year completely revamping the website and, and adding content that is, is super relevant to what we do and who we help. 
So that gives you a lot of good information about whether or not we might be a good fit for you. And there's a nice big blue button in the top right corner that says, I think it says work with us. And it tells you exactly how to get in touch and what the process would be like to have a conversation just to figure out if it's a good fit, because nobody's forcing anything here. And we want to make sure that we enjoy working with you and you, you, us, if that makes sense for everyone. Haley and Eric Roberge of Beyond Your Hammock, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Thank you very much, Jordan. This has been awesome. Yeah, good conversation. Thank you. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. There's a million ways to build flexibility into your portfolio. As is clear from my conversation with Eric and Kaylee Roberge, flexibility is one of the most important things we have. And the reason why is because we can't read the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how we are going to change. Our life goals may change. We might decide to have kids when we didn't think we'd want to. We might want to retire early. We might want to keep working. We don't know who we will be in the next decade or two, but the truth of the matter is we also don't know what's going to happen to the world. We don't know what changes are going to be brought upon us, whether that's a recession or legislative change or what have you. The only thing we know is that things change in general, so the best way to plan for it is to plan for change, since we don't know what that change will be. Flexibility is our one and only goal. We've talked about flexibility when it comes to your portfolio and diversity. We've talked about flexibility when it comes to tax savings. We've talked about flexibility in just about every aspect of investing. There's one other type of flexibility that I think we need to talk about. It's one that is near and dear to my heart, and that type of flexibility is imperfection. You all have heard me say this before, that perfect is the enemy of good, I think we put way too much stress on ourselves to understand exactly the best way to monetize our savings and investments. We're always worried about legislation and which hack we can use to get the highest interest off our money. How can we pay the least taxes? How can we make our money go the farthest? And I understand why we do this, right? We want to be the best of consumers. We want to be the best of investors. If there is a trick out there to be had, why not use it? But I'm going to argue the exact opposite, and this is where it comes to flexibility. Sometimes I think we have to stick with good enough. This idea of going towards perfection really drives us to spend a lot of time thinking about money. It causes us to spend a lot of time digging into legislative change. It causes us a lot of fear and anxiety. And I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on the phone with Vanguard trying to get my accounts just right, when maybe the answer with some of this is that good is good enough and that we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to wrangle the best interest rate off of everything. We don't have to have the perfect portfolio. There can be inadequacies in our financial plan and that going that last 10 or 20%, going from an 80% 
perfect portfolio to a 100% perfect portfolio, that extra 20% may take an inordinate amount of time and hours away from our life, and we might just not enjoy it. So look, this is a money show. We're interested in personal finance. We want to help you earn and invest, and we want to discuss the best ways to do that. But I also want to reach out and say, hey, there's a limit to how much time and energy we should spend on these things. We should go for good much more than perfect. We should understand that there are inefficiencies in our processes and be comfortable with those. The winner of the game is not the person who ends up with the most money at the end. The winner of the game is the person who uses their money as a tool. And if spending your time reading the most current tax law, looking at the stock ticker, and reading the most recent statements from different businesses isn't making you happy, isn't a good use of your time, for God's sake, don't spend your time doing those things. I think we need to be diversified and we need to be flexible. And I think we can all build financial plans that do this without getting too much into the weeds, without spending all our time doing things we don't like to do. Again, it comes back to how do you want to spend your time? What activities do you want to be doing while time passes? I want to build a financial framework and have a financial structure enough to support myself. So I want to get 80% there, but that last 20%, I'm just not sure how much that serves your average person. Awesome. I leave things running just as we kind of finish off as the after show. Um, Anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on, either about the advisory or about this idea of flexibility? I mean, the only thing that comes, nothing, nothing comes to mind about like, I think the conversation was great. Like you, I listened to you on YouTube before this to make sure I understood your, just the way you you, you speak. And and I was, I was very comfortable coming on the show because I thought you were, you were kind to the guests and you were very insightful at questions. And like, it was just, it seemed very comfortable. Um, So that, that turned out exactly as I thought here. Um, the only thing that came to mind was just one thing that you had referenced as far as, I don't know, one of you had referenced uh, the political landscape and how it impacts the stock market. And this just was really, and it, I guess it, as it pertains to data as well. Um, so big data is, for me, big data is becoming more and more important because the, the longer the history, the more data points we have, the better we can understand averages. And although averages aren't the thing you make your decisions on, it certainly helps with planning. And so when it comes to the political environment in the stock market, there's this great research done by Dimensional Fund Advisors, and they look at the who is in office over the last, say, 90 years or so, and what the stock market did when blue versus red was in office. And you can see very clearly that there is really no impact. Sometimes the market's up, sometimes it's down, no matter who is there. So this idea that, well, when Republicans are in the market, uh, are in office, the market does well. And when Democrats are in the office, the market does poorly, is not actually showing up in the true history of the data. So it's just so important to, to pay attention to 
just historical data and do it's doing so on a long, a bigger scale and not just the last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a long time, embarrassingly long, to realize the difference between short-term stock fluctuations or short-term equity fluctuations and long-term market um, and the and the long-term market returns, right? So I think a lot of people don't understand that current events can briefly change things and more importantly, expectations, right? It's all about short-term stock valuations are all about expectations, not whether a company is doing well or not. It's what Wall Street thinks the company is going to do and then whether it performs better, worse, or the same as people thought it was going to do, right? That's what the short-term stock market's all about. But the long-term stock market hopefully reflects more how our country is doing and how business in general in our country and the world is doing. Um, and therefore, if you generally feel optimistic about how the world is doing and how our country is doing and our ability for businesses to grow and learn and improve, then you're going to feel fairly optimistic long-term about leaving your money, especially in a broad, diversified you know, choosing of stocks. And I think if... It took me a long, long time to understand that, which is seems so fundamental now, right? I mean, it just sounds very basic, but I, I don't think I understood it at the outset at all. Most don't. That's that's such a common thing with clients, and, and I'm glad you have, because it's. I mean, I'm very much a believer in that too. That long term, it's going to be all good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. You care about your money, of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.